Welcome back to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, we're celebrating Chris and what God is doing in his life. He attended our Concord Outpost this past Sunday, and in responding to what God was calling him to do, he was baptized. It was a beautiful celebration of his faith in Jesus. Way to go, Chris. This high five goes out to you today. Here at number four, our Rutland Outpost threw a rockin' Halloween party last week, closing down Chestnut Avenue and welcoming in 2,000 local friends. They had hot dogs and cider, a costume contest, a pumpkin drop, and even a live band. High five, Rutland. Here's to more times like these. Here at number three, rooted participants are nearing the end of their 10-week journey. The time they've spent getting to know one another, studying the character of God, and working through faith has been incredible. High five to these strong roots in God's love. In at number two, students from our Manchester and Concord outposts celebrated 603 night where middle and high schoolers came together for food, games, and a sweet time of worship. There are many more 603 nights to look forward to. So check out our student page at church.one slash students and high five to more times like these. And finally, up at number one, we are celebrating the two baptisms that our Rutland Outpost experienced this past week. High five to Desi and Izzy. We're so excited for how God will continue to move in and through you. Thanks for joining us for our high five and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. You know, I'm not sure if this is fully theologically accurate, but why would you say that on the stage? But um, sometimes I think God, you'll know what I mean in a second. Sometimes I think God is at his best when everything seems like it's falling apart. And I want to say, God is always at his best. But sometimes when everything is unraveling, like when your world is falling apart, and I know that happens, like I know that there's probably moments in your life, and there certainly are moments in my life where it seems like everything's unraveling, everything's falling apart. And I would say that is where, those are the moments where it seems like God is at his best, those moments of crunch time. Those moments when like we don't have the answers, and maybe you're at that, maybe you are there, maybe you're gonna be there rather soon, and it can revolve around a whole lot of different things. Like you, we, we all feel the crunch at some point. You guys loving the inflation? Inflation's going, is that going pretty good in your life? Like, they, I, I don't know much about the markets, but I know market basket. <laughs> and I know it is not the same. And there can be crunch. My birthday's in October. I'm not looking for anything, but it was in October, which means two of my cars were, I got a lot of kids, but two of them are registered in my name. Mm. I've just been through a crunch. The registration, the inspections, it never goes right, does it? It never goes right. It's crunch. You feel the crunch. And I would ask her, you're feeling the crunch. And, and you can fill all, you can fill in the gap. For sometimes it's, it's, it's financial. It often seems like the crunch can be financial. You've had those moments sitting around the table and you're like, oh man, I don't know how we're going to get through this. Anybody, anybody been there? I don't know how we're going to pay that bill. I don't know how we're going to get that house payment done. I don't know how we're, oh, and, and so sometimes the crunch is financial and sometimes the crunch is relational. I mean, we certainly feel that too. Like we feel crunches everywhere. We feel crunches all over our lives. And my brother the other day, was, I was down in Bedford worshiping on, on Thursday and He's, he's like, John, he, he, he's like, uh, do you, does it seem like when you bend over, you're making more noise lately? <laughs> like, do you hear a little bit of a crunch and you get a little, uh, and you're like, yeah, yeah, Jay, we're getting older. Sometimes our health, we can feel the crunch. Sometimes it's, it's, it's our relationships with other people. It's in our marriage. We can feel the crunch. 
It's, it's with our kids. Sometimes you can feel the crunch. And the temptation, I suppose, in moments of crunch time, I mean, there's probably a number of different ways you could go. You could say, well, I'm just going to push through it, and I'm going to put my head down, and it's going to be all about me and all my strength and energy, and we're going we're gonna to figure this thing out and, and, until you don't, until you can't. Or you can get mad at God in the midst of crunch time because that's very real too. Like, God, I don't understand why you brought me all of these problems. Like, God, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to be a good man, husband, wife. I mean, fill in the blank. I'm doing my best and I don't know why I'm still having to face this crunch time. And sometimes you can go at God or run away from God. So I realize that crunch time can do that in our lives too. But I do think the secret of crunch time is is to lean in the one who is, who is always clutch in the crunch. The one who is in a garden and he knows that the cross is coming. He knows that he's on his way to his death, which is not a small thought that we sometimes can make a small thought. Jesus, a human being, fully God at the same time. What does that all mean? I don't know, but walking on earth, knowing that, that he's going to be utterly physically destroyed. And he's in the garden. He says, Father, if there's any other way, Lord, let there be a different way. Not my will, though. Let, let your will be done. And so in the moment of crunch, the moment of, oh, I, you know, I'm not sure what this looks like, and I'm not sure that this is, like, I'm not sure how to deal with this, Jesus says, but, but yet not my will, but your will be done. You see, God, God shows up in, in the crunch time. And can I tell you that today? Like, whatever it is you're going through, and you can fill in that blank. You can fill in that blank. Holy Spirit, help us to know what it is that we are facing right now and, and help us to know that you can be clutch even in the darkest moments of, of, of our lives and that, that despite what circumstantially might come, well, you know, what might happen around us? Because we have no control over the external, but, but to, to say, God, my, I'm going to trust in you. So we're going through a series called The Sweet Life. And we have this memory verse from Psalm 34, verse 8. And... And it is beautiful words that I really do think is wisdom for you this morning. And it says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. And please hear in that, there's an invitation. Taste and see. Taste and see that I'm good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in me. And there are many things that can cause crunches in my life. But the invitation of God is, no, I want you to, to walk with me. And I want you to see that come what may, and sometimes we have to say that. Sometimes we have to say, come what may. I'm going to trust, and I'm going to take refuge in the Lord. Because I'm going to take him at his word that blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And so we, we all say that with me. We're going to say it together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So I might ask you this morning, where are you taking refuge? 
Like, where, where, where is it? And, and you're like, well, I don't really know where I'm taking refuge. Well, where, one of the ways you can say where you see where you're taking refuge is what is it that has your emotions, right? What is it that has your, your what has it that has you at angst or, or has you fearful or has you depressed? Like, and, and what God is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to taste and see that I am good. I want you to find refuge in me. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense because these problems are real. And I'm, like, I'm not going to deny that the problems are real. But what God is saying, what God is giving you is an invitation to himself. The invitation to his power, the invitation to let his spirit come and live inside you. He says, taste it. Let me see. You see, sometimes we feel the crunch when, when the problems or the needs are big and the resources are small. You've, you've seen that. Crunch time comes when the needs are big. <laughs> and you got any big needs right now? Like, and you're like, you're not, I'm not sure how we're going to figure out 2023, 2024. Forget about 2024. We got to get through 2023. Like, crunch time comes. You feel crunch time when, when the problems are big, when, when the needs are big. And you fill in the gap of what your needs are, but that's when it happens. When the needs are big and it seems as though the resources are small and you're racking your brain, you're trying to figure it out. Like, how are we going to make this work? And you can fill that out in, in, any, in a variety of scenarios. How are we going to make this work? And that's, here's what I would say. Those are the moments when God is absolutely there. And in the midst of all the noise and chaos, he's saying, I want you to taste and see that I'm good. Blessed are you when you take refuge in me. So in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, man, tensions are kind of ratcheting up. Jesus has, um, Jesus has begun his ministry, and one of, the, uh, one of the prophets, his name was John the Baptist, he was very f- famous in Israel around that time. He's got this quite a bit of following around him. But John's role, he's actually Jesus' cousin, which is kind of interesting. John's role is to prepare the way. He's told that he's, he's to prepare the way for the coming king. He's to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so John the Baptist is kind of a weirdo. People would describe him as a weirdo. He ate bugs and he was clothed in camel hair and he kind of lived in the wilderness. And yet weirdos sometimes get a calling uh, get a, and, and get a following. And so they're following John because they sense that there's something that God is doing through, through John the Baptist. And so he, he has this large group of people who he is preparing for when the Messiah comes. Then one day Jesus comes on the scene and he says this. John says this. Behold, I want you to look. Here comes the Lamb of God. It's all about him. I've been a voice in the wilderness preparing the way. The way is here. Jesus comes up to him and he says, John, will you baptize me? And John's like, what are you talking about? Baptize? Like, you should be baptizing me. Like, like you, are the, you are the one. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is necessary. I want you to do this. And so John baptizes him and Not all that long after, John is put into prison. And not long after that, John is beheaded. Now, this is a question. Like, they're trying to get their minds around this. Well, Jesus, if you are the Messiah, if you are who you said you are, and here's the one who's preparing your way, why is he dead? You've got to get very real and very practical of what's going on. And so people are mad because people love John. And so perhaps, like it says that it says after that they 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 went to make Jesus king by force. What does that all mean? I'm not exactly sure. But but here is what they here here I know is at least pieces of it. They thought that when the Messiah came, he would set up his political kingdom, and, and those who had killed, or at least part and parcel, those who had killed John, all of the problems would go away because he would reign supreme. And so now now we got to make Jesus king. Now he's got to be our political king. He's got to stomp out the Romans and. 
So that's going on. In the meantime, Jesus is healing the sick and befriending the outcast. And so here's what I'm trying to say. Everybody's coming after Jesus in a good way. They, they, well, not necessarily in a good way, but every, everybody coming after Jesus has a need. Some to make him king, some to heal their diseases, some to heal their sickness. None of them are necessarily bad. They're just, they're just there. They come to Jesus with a need. And, and that's what we pick up in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, something interesting happens. There's, there's moments when our need seems way too big, and it seems like our resources are way too small. And so you want, there's something very interesting that happens in John chapter 6. This is what it says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. So he's kind of getting away from the people for a little bit, he thinks, or I don't know how to say that correctly. But, and a great crowd of people followed him. Because they saw the signs he had been performing and, and he, they knew that he was healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover festival, it was near. That's a weird insertion, insertion by the way. You gotta hold on to that for a little bit. We might talk about that for a second. Um, now when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. <laughs> and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So people are looking for Jesus. Why are people looking for Jesus? I mean, to put it in a very, very basic, very simple way, because people have needs. So he's getting away with his disciples, and they're coming out to see him. And then something kind of interesting happened. And I don't know why, I find it quite humorous, but Jesus turns to Philip. He sees all of these crowd, this crowd coming at him. He's on, he's, he's on the mountainside. He's getting away with his disciples. I know you're getting it, but I'm trying to paint the scene for you. And, and it will eventually get the number, like 5,000 people, perhaps even more than 5,000 people are gathering around. Let me just tell you, that is not a small crowd, 5,000 people. And so Jesus does this, and he asked Philip, he turns to Philip, one of his disciples, he's like, hey, how are we going to feed these guys? And it says he, he, he knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what he was going to do. But he asked Philip this question. He asked Philip this question. And I think it's a big question. I think it's, a, it's an important question. And I think it's a hilarious question because he's asking Philip, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these guys? What does Philip, what does Philip know? <laughs> what does Philip know how he's going to feed these guys? like, and so, and so I'm thinking about this message, and I'm thinking, why does Jesus ask this question? It says he wanted to test Philip to see what he was thinking, but I thought about, like, like that question, like, like, imagine a moment where you're in a moment of crisis. All of these people are coming. 5,000-plus people are coming your direction. They're, they're coming to see Jesus, and Jesus turns to you. He's like, hey, we've, we perhaps have a, a, a logistical problem here. Hey, hey Philip, how are we going to solve it? And for some reason, I thought it's a humorous question. What does Philip know? What resources does Philip have? And so I'm thinking, well, why does Jesus ask him the question? He's like, we've got to feed these people. How are we going to feed these people? And, and, and I'm like, and, and Philip, how are we going to feed these people? And there's things in there that I thought, one, one thing that's interesting, it's we. How are we going to fill this? How are we going to feed these people? At least Philip isn't in by himself. He's got Jesus with him. That's not a small resource, by the way. 
And I thought about crunches. And I about these moments when my finances seem to be falling apart, like, and Jesus comes along with this little question, hey, how are we going to solve this? I don't know how we're going to solve this, Jesus. You ever have that moment? Hey, Jesus, this marriage, this marriage is not working. Jesus, how, and Jesus is like, okay, how are we going to solve this? I feel like Philip sometimes. I, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to solve this. And, or, or, or maybe your, your job is just falling apart. Or, I mean, you fill in the blank of whatever that might be. And Jesus is like, hey, what are we going to do about this? And you're like, I don't know. Who am I to know how I'm going to bring any solution to this? But you know what I noticed that is, I think is wonderful about the question? It's Jesus is like, well, we can figure this out together. The need is not so big that I can't meet that need. And what I was thinking, I was thinking through this a lot. I'm like, prior, Philip wasn't probably even thinking about solving the problem. But Jesus is like, no, there's people here, and there's a need here. There's something that needs to be done, and I, I, we, we will do it together. And I hope that somehow in your life, that can speak to your life, where you're like, Jesus, I got this going on. And Jesus is like, okay, what are we going to do about it? And there's beauty to the we, isn't there? What are we going to do about it? And maybe there's something very specific in your life. Particularly, maybe it's financial because that's kind of what this, where the series are. And you're like, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. And Jesus might be calling you into something. And I do think he's calling you into something. And I think finances are, are part of that. And he's like, okay, what are we going to do about this? And you're like, well, I, don't, I don't know. You know what I really think Jesus is asking Philip? Do you trust me? I mean, isn't that the question? Isn't, isn't that the question? Do you trust me? Do you trust that, that, that when mouths need to be fed or situations need to be resolved, that I can be sufficient in the midst of it? Do you, do you realize that we are in this together and there's nothing that you're going to face that, is not suffi- that I am not sufficient to meet you in? Do you, do you recognize that, Philip? And so what I realize is that sometimes in moments of need, we can panic or we can participate in whatever Jesus' plan is. We can panic or we can recognize that Jesus is right here with us. And that Jesus is right here with us. And that in him is all sufficiency to meet whatever it is he's called us to. Because he's a good God. He's not going to call us into something that doesn't provide the means for which to do it. And so we can panic or we can participate in God's plan. If you watch what happens next, um, they're kind of scurrying in some sense. Philip, Philip, I love Philip's response. I love Philip's response because it's my response and it's your response. It's like, it's like you, there's something insurmountable in front of you and you're like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do about this, Jesus. Is there something in your life right now you're like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do about this, Jesus. And, and this is what he says. He says, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite it would take more than half a year's wages. There's 5,000 people at least here. It would take more than a half a year's wages for someone to have just a little bit of bite, Jesus. I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but I don't know how we're going to get through this. And, and um, another one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy. Here's a boy, and he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? And I'm like, at least Andrew's like, he's, he's at least trying. Finds a small boy, a small boy's got his lunch for the day, I don't know. And Andrew's like, I, and, and Andrew's like well, here's, here's something. 
<laughs> you ever been there with God? Here's all we got, God. Here's something. And God, if we're gonna if we're gonna go to the comparison scale, my something is nothing in compared to what is needing to be done. You ever been there? Um, here's a boy, but how how far will they go among so many? Jesus said to them, "Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have the people sit down." Now there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About five thousand men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I forgot to tell you that we were going to talk for a second about the festival that was about to happen. It was remembering the Jewish Passover. And the Jewish Passover was this moment in Israel's history when God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. He was bringing them into the promised land. And John keeps talking about the Passover. He keeps dating everything by the Passover because, well, what is John wanting us to, what, what is John trying to show us about Israel and humankind's deliverance from slavery and being brought into some type of promise? Well, what will happen in the Passover is they will be delivered from slavery in Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh and then they will wander through the wilderness for 40 years and what you'll notice is that God provided for them food, bread, down from heaven so that they all had enough to eat. Now Jesus is on a mountainside and people are gathering around hoping that he is the Messiah, the one who will come to save them. And Jesus is seeing them and he's seeing, the, uh, he's seeing where he wants to lead them out of slavery, slavery, a different kind of slavery, slavery to sin and into the promise of, of life in him. And what he's, I think, communicating is... In the same way that God can provide for you in the wilderness, so he can provide for you bread in this moment. He'll later go on to say, in the same section, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. I'm going to be the one who brings life to you. So I can panic, or I can participate in God's plan, and so what are we called to do? We're called to trust the plan. You're like, well, what's the plan? Well, in terms of finances, here's the plan. And you may not like it. But I will tell you, you might very quickly learn to love it. God's plan for our finances is for, for us to give back to him. And to trust him and say, God, I recognize that all things are yours. It's a temptation to think they're mine, but really they're yours. And God, I, I know that I need freed from the tyranny or slavery of thinking that I am in charge because I do not make the best decisions and I don't have control of how I'm actually going to get an income. And you're like, well, I do have control. Well, you do as long as you're healthy or you do as long as the job stays there. But ultimately, ultimately we are, we are at the... Um, only he's who's going to be able to do it. And so what does tithing look like? Tithing looks like giving 10% back to God. That's, that's what tithe means, by the way. It means 10%. And I do think that that is the beginning of the plan that God has for our lives. It's 
God, I'm going to give you back. I'm going to give back, and I need you to tell me that because I'm not going to want to listen. And I know, I recognize that in a room like this, some of you would be like, oh, man, I don't like this at all. Like, I don't know if I want to listen. And some of you have chosen in your life to listen. You start to realize, oh, oh, I didn't understand it at the time, but God has done a deliverance. He, he has delivered me from a slavery to this thing called money, and he has set me free into his kingdom. And so how do you trust the plan? Well, trust the plans is don't be overly dramatic. We tend to dramatize things a little too much. Philip is like, and you are like, and I am like, God, there's not enough. Like, God, I could take it all, and it wouldn't be enough to make a bite. It wouldn't be enough to make a dent. Like, how could, how could we do all this? It could not. It could, have you ever had those conversations with God? God, I hear, you, I hear you telling me this. I hear you challenging me. I hear you, perhaps that you're even wanting to free me from this, but there's no way we can't. This can't be done. Have you ever? <laughs> I have. Have you ever stood at your finances and said, this can't be done? And God laughs at stuff like that because he's clutch in the crunch. And so Philip's like, no, there's no way. The other side is we've we, we got to stop thinking small. There's this weird, I don't know if it's in, intentional or not. But you start to notice the small language. Andrew had found a boy, small. He'd find some small loaves of bread. He found some small fish. I was just reading through John. I'm like, why do we keep saying small? Small, 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 small. And you're like, well, you know, I really can only make a small contribution. I really can only make a small dent. Even if I gave my small, no one can even have a bite. And God's like, well, I don't care what you have. Let's just use what you got. Think about a little widow. So two coins. Well, that's not going to make a huge dent in the ultimate earth-shaking, kingdom-bringing thing in the world, and yet Jesus looked at her and says, there's a woman who understands what I'm about. So you've got to trust the plan. And all of those things are steps of faith. Don't be overly dramatic and stop thinking small and give what you got. Why? Because it's it's beautiful, it's wonderful to be in the flow of God's generosity. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, that what God is really doing is he's inviting us into himself to be generous as he is generous because he is a generous God. And I noticed this, that God has this bad habit, which is, that's, that's sarcastic, where God's always creating leftovers, if you, if, you, if you read Psalm, it's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not one. It ends with, like, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. What, can he get the cup right? Why is my cup overflowing? Because God will give and do abundantly more than all you can think, ask, or imagine. Now, you either believe that or you don't, but, but it seems like God is pretty good at overdoing it. God is pretty good at overdoing it. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life, and I don't mean that means you're going to be the wealthiest person around. And I don't even, I'm not even saying it's financial blessing, because that actually might be a curse if you, if you really wrestle through it a little bit. Um, but instead, he says, no, you are going to find fullness. You are going to have leftovers. All right, let me go read this. When they had, when they had all had enough to eat, which is hilarious. Philip, how are we going to feed these people? I don't know, Jesus. Half year's wages ain't going to get them a bite. 
When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over of those who had, been, had eaten. God is an expert at overdoing it. And again, I don't mean this to sound all health and wealth and you give and God's going to bless you in kind. He will be kind, but it may not be that. But I do think the crunches that you're in or the crunches that you're going through, in some way there, Jesus kind of turned into us and saying, well, what can we do about that? I want you to trust me. I want you to take me at my word. So we, uh, you know, I, we're part of that bountiful blessing of God right now as Concord Outpost. There's a building 2.3 miles down the road that I'm just going to say it. I, I, I feel like God, by difficult and weird and odd circumstances, has called us to use for this moment in time. And it, it, it comes at a, a price. And we could be like Philip. <laughs> yeah, I could be like Philip. Like, God, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. And he's like, well, don't be overly dramatic. Forgot the second one. <laughs> Don't be able to stop thinking small and give what you have. We have a video that has been shared throughout all the, or will be today, shared throughout all the outposts. You might have seen it online, but we're going we're gonna to watch it again where, where the senior pastor, Bo, he'll, he'll, he'll talk about us. He'll talk about the Concord Outpost and what we as a church are doing together, as one church are doing together. And so we're going to watch the video at this moment. Hey church, I'm super excited to share an amazing opportunity God has given to One Church. We are purchasing the building at 79 Sheep Davis Road in Pembroke, New Hampshire, and it will become the new home for our Concord Outpost before the end of this year. God provided this building at just the right time. We are nearing the end of our lease agreement with Concord Christian Academy and have been praying about where to go next. Now, our weekly worship attendance in Concord has grown to over 200 in a temporary facility, which is amazing, but it's time to make a move. It's also important to note that God has provided a complete staff team in Concord that is ready to hit the ground running in a full-time facility. This is the right time, and this is the right building. This building is located less than three miles from where the Concord Outpost currently meets. It is a turnkey facility, ready to be used almost immediately by One Church for Worship. This building gives us room to quickly double our reach in the Concord area. The space for children's ministry is excellent and will allow us to share God's love with families in powerful ways. It is the right time, this is the right building, and this is the right cost. The purchase price for this building is $1.7 million, and we have roughly $100,000 in updates, including painting and signage to do for the building to be totally ready for worship. If we were to build this building from the ground up, it would take well over a year to complete and easily cost $2.5 million or more. This is the right time, the right building, the right cost, and we are the right church to take this next step of bold faith. 
We can do this. I'm confident God will provide everything we need to do everything he calls us to do. We are in a great position to take this next step of faith. Our finances are healthy and our people are generous. We should do this. We get to do this. We will do this. Our leadership prayed hard and clearly heard from the Lord. And now we're asking you to pray and hear from him as well about how you will participate in the Concord campaign to raise the funds needed to purchase this building. Let's go church. Others went before us and sacrificed greatly so we could worship in Manchester, Bedford, Concord, Brandon, Rutland, Franklin, and online. And we will continue to give generously and sacrificially as a church so more of our wants can respond to the love of Jesus. So what are our next steps? Here's what we're asking every one of you to do. Number one, give a one-time gift. Think big. This is a big opportunity and big time generosity is needed. You can use our giving envelopes at any of our outposts or give a one-time gift online. Number two, make a one-year commitment. What will you add to your current giving plan over the next year? We will have commitment cards available throughout November at our outposts and online. You can use them to indicate your giving plan for the next 12 months and then set it up online. I'm beyond thankful for the people God called to help lead our Concord Outpost. I believe God has incredible plans for this building as it allows us to have more worship services and more places to reach the most people in the shortest time. Your generosity helps us make a way for many more of our ones to know Jesus. This is the right time for the right building at the right cost, and we are the right church. Let's go, church. Let's talk about us, guys. All across, all across all the outposts, it's, it's, it's to help us, which is what I love about the church, by the way. What I love particularly about, about one church is like we're in this together. Like it, we, we are the, it's the church of the body of Christ in, in New Hampshire and in Vermont and beyond and online. And so we get to do this together. You might have noticed a white thing when you came in. And I ask that you grab it and I ask that you take it home. You don't have to, you don't have to fill it out right now. It's not an arm twist. It's a, it's a God. Tell me what to give him. Give the courage to do it, to, to, to give it. And so we are asking you of this is to, to pray about it and say, well, um, can I give a, what's, one, what's a one-time gift? I, can, I know we went through them. What's a one-time gift? Um, will I give uh, monthly on a monthly basis for this year? It helps us to understand um, how things are coming in and, and helps the, the people who do the budgets to figure out um, and plan needs and such as that. And then to pray. God, show me what to give and give me the courage to do it. In fact, would you all pray that with me right now? <clears throat> God, please show me what to give and give me the courage to give it. You know, as the, as the Concord Outpost, one thing that I would hope of us specifically, um, it's sometimes humbling when, when, when the church is gathering around, and, and, and I don't know how to say this correctly, but, and, and there's other people doing this for us so that we can have an outpost. But I also think that we, as the Concord Outpost, should lead the charge in that. Like, I think we should, we should be the ones who are, are, are ready and available to, to, to provide, knowing that, that there's more coming, that there's more along the way, that, that as, as Bo had said, that people had prepared the way for us to get to be here in these moments, and we want to see what God's going to do all throughout New Hampshire and all throughout New England, and so we want to be ready and prepared um, for that as well. And so thank you. Thank you for your prayers about that, and, and I trust that when, when Jesus says, hey, what are we going to do about this, that that we can trust his plan and we can lean into him because he is a generous God. In fact, the moment that we move into in terms of communion, it is a picture of the generosity of God. Because God, God laid it all out. Jesus says, here I am, I've come to do your will. Father, I am yours. May you use me for your kingdom and for your purposes. And so we have bread 
And Jesus will say, this is my body that's been given for you. Whenever you do this, may you remember me. And so we take to our king. Jesus then took the juice. He says, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. Whenever you do this, may you do this in remembrance of me. We take to the king. Would you all stand with me? I have to believe that we're in the crunch. Some of you are in the crunch. You're going through crunches. And the beauty of the church is that we get to do it together. We get to be and stand beside one another. If there's a way that we could be praying for you, um, I'll be down in front. Dan will be over here. A lady will be in the back. And we'd love to pray for your crunch, whatever it is that you're facing. Knowing that Jesus is sufficient for it. Um, But maybe you haven't yet released yourself over to your king. And the invitation that Jesus would give you is come. Are you, are, you, are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? Are you tired of trying to do it all by yourself? Come to me and I will give you rest. That I will be your provider. And financial provision is, man, that's just a part of it. He says, no, I want you to seek first my kingdom. I want you to seek first me. And, and, and I will worry about everything else. And, and so maybe God is stirring in your heart to say, yeah, I do want to give my life to Jesus. Yes, I do want to follow him. And the way we do that, or one of the ways we do this as a church is to be baptized into him. There's water over here. Contrary to this room, I do believe it is warm water. Um, and so there will be warm, warm water. And so there's an invitation right there um, um, to be baptized into Jesus. I'm going to pray. Father God, it's all you. Always has been all you. There's so much that we try to hold on to. There's all kinds of emotions that we go through. Lord, I pray that you set us free. Every person in this room was set us free. Set us free to simply know you and walk with you and to trust you to hear you at our ears saying, we can do this. Just walk with me. Thank you for your faithfulness. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please continue to stand as we sing this last song.
122 verse, verse 1 says, I was glad when it said unto me, let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. So we did that today. So God bless you guys. We encourage you to find someone to share God's love with and have a great week.